Christmas is a season of incredible, amazing stories. In fact, there are a number of stories that come to mind when I think of Christmas and stories that we've all grown up with, stories that uh, come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Some of those stories that surround the, the season of Christmas are poems. Does this one sound familiar to you? "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. That's a story. It's a poem that tells a story that surrounds the Christmas celebration that we all grew up with. Another way that stories come into our lives during the Christmas season is through kids' books, children's books. My favorite children's book that is a Christmas story, it opens like this. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just up just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. That's the story of the Grinch that stole Christmas, right? Some of the stories that are, are told are told through songs. A couple of them that uh, come to mind. Uh, we're going to put them on the, the, the screen here this morning. And you can fill in the blank. The first one, here it is. Frosty the Snowman. And here's the second one. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Those are stories that are told through songs. And the, these kinds of stories go on and on and on. Movies and books and poems and songs. And then there are these personal stories that we all have as well. If we were to go around the room this morning, everybody could tell the story of what Christmas was like for them when you were growing up. We, we would have all different kinds of stories that we could tell as it relates to our experiences. Those are personal stories. For me, I grew up, um, I, I had a younger brother, a younger sister, and we were always super excited about Christmas. Uh, we, we were uh, farmers, we milked cows, we had chores that we had to do on Christmas Day even. They don't take a break. The cows still have to eat. The cows still have to milk. And so my brother and I would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. We'd go help our dad so that we could get to the presents faster. But uh, then we also had two sets of grandparents. These grandparents lived close by, and we would uh, get to take turns in the afternoon on Christmas Day going to their houses and, and uh, having Christmas with them. For me, I remember getting a bunch of gifts, but more than that, I remember all of the wonderful food and desserts that every Christmas my grandmas would have made at their house. And so, you know... I, they, they would, we just loved the things that uh, our grandmas cooked. I loved the things that my grandma cooked. And it, I remember all of the amazing foods that we would eat and eat and eat and eat. And we could eat till our hearts were content. But I'm sure that as I'm telling my story, you're probably able to think about your own story of how you grew up celebrating Christmas, some of the traditions that you had. Listen, we all have stories, but the reality is that Christmas is really about something that is much bigger than any of those stories that we've just talked about on the screen or even in our own personal lives. Christmas is really about the story of all stories. 
Now, this is not just a story that is made up by an author. This is not some kind of fictitious tale. It is an actual, literal story about a miraculous event that took place. And I want to read to you this morning from Luke chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible with you, or you can open that Bible app, or grab a Bible in the P-Rack in front of you, but we're going to put this on the screen, and we want to read this all-important story together. So this is Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 8, and you can follow along as I read this. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You, shall, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then the angel, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I want to stop there for just a moment. Uh, you know, I think that there are some verses in the Bible that are just super hard for us to wrap our minds around. And this one right here is one of them. I mean, here are the shepherds. They're out in the field. They are watching their sheep at night. They're, they're doing this, and they have done this every night of their lives. I mean, we're talking about a boring, quiet job. Every night, 365 days of the year, nothing new, nothing different. It is always the same. And then all of a sudden, one night, out of the blue, this angel shows up. The glory of God shines around them, reveals this news, and then a bunch of other angels, the Bible says, a multitude of heavenly hosts, which describes angels in the tens of thousands, starts singing this song, glory to God in the highest. And then the Bible says that they're gone. And the shepherds say, let us go over to Bethlehem. Now, I, I just imagine the, mo the emotion in that moment. I mean, this is not just like a ho-hum, like whatever, you know, we, let's go to Bethlehem. No, I imagine that they are running over themselves. They are tripping over the sheep. They are running as fast as they can in order to get to Bethlehem. I have this image that in that moment they dropped everything and they said, listen, we've got to go see this thing. Verse 16 says, and when they, and they went with haste, I'm sure they did, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard and seen as it had been told them. This morning, just one day away from Christmas, I, I thought that it would be great for us to just kind of pause for a moment here to spend some time talking about what Christmas is really all about. 
And I want us to look at two realities about the story of Christmas that are super important for us to understand. We're actually going to spend a majority of the time here this morning on this first reality, but then we'll just briefly touch on the second one as well. Here's the first reality of Christmas. The story of Christmas is all about Jesus. The story of Christmas is all about Jesus. In verse 10, the Bible says that this angel shows up, these shepherds are out in this field, and basically what he says to them is, man, do I have a story to tell you? I mean, it says this in verse 10, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But what he's really saying is, listen, I, I have a, an amazing story to tell you. And the story that he goes on then to tell is really a summary, uh, summarized really in just one verse, verse 11. We're going to put this verse back up on the screen, verse 11, but I want you to read this verse out loud along with me, if you will, Okay. So we've got it up on the screen. Are you ready? In three, two, one, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Listen, that is the whole Christmas story right there. He uses three terms here to describe Jesus. And what I want to do here today is take these three terms and just kind of unpack them a bit for us this morning. Friends, the story of Christmas is really all about Jesus. But first of all, it's about Jesus as the Savior. He is the Savior. The angel said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm glad that Jesus came as a Savior. Amen? In fact, uh, if you have experienced the saving grace of Jesus, then you are so excited, you are so glad that he came as a savior. The word savior means that he's the one who saves us from danger or destruction. It's a word that can also be translated as deliverer. It's a word that when speaking about Jesus, talks about his ability to save people from their sins. This is the same message that the angel gave to Joseph when his wife Mary found out that she was pregnant and they had not been together yet. He's obviously super concerned. The angel comes to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and listen to what he says. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. There are 7.8 billion people on planet earth. Think about that for a moment. 7.8 billion people. Among those 7.8 billion people, there is a whole lot of diversity, right? I mean, if you just think about people in this room here this morning, there is a whole lot of diversity right here. But when you think about 7.8 billion people on planet Earth, and there's a whole lot that makes us different from each other. However, the Bible says that there is one thing that unites all of us. There is one thing that all of us have in common, and here is what that one thing is. We have all sinned against God. In fact, here's what it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, for all, that's all people everywhere, every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Paul says this in a, in a very interesting way in Romans chapter 3 when he says, all have sinned. 
Because this phrase here is borrowed from the field of archery. And literally what this means is to miss the mark. You know, um, if you're an archer and you're out, you're practicing your skill, you have this bullseye target that's out there, and uh, you, you get your bow and arrow out in your hand, maybe about 20 yards away or so, and, and you start shooting at the target, and you miss the target. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. God gave us a target of righteousness. He shows us what this looks like in the law. But Paul says, listen, as each one of us looks back on our lives in the past, every one of us, 7.8 billion people can all say, I have sinned. I have missed the mark of God's standard in my life. What Paul doesn't stop right there, though. He goes on and he says, and fall short of the glory of God. He's talking about what happened in the past, but he's talking about the present as well. What he's saying here is, we have fallen short. We have missed the mark of God's standard in the past. But as we think about our lives right now, as we continue uh, to think about our lives, we continue to not be able to measure up. And no matter how hard we try, we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Listen, that, that's the condition of 7.8 billion people on planet Earth. We all have sinned. We all continue to sin to this day. We fall short of the glorious standard of the righteousness of God. The reality is that because of this condition, we have separated ourselves from a relationship with God. And that's significant because that's the whole reason why we were created. We were created to know and to have fellowship with God. But because we all have sinned and we all continue to fall short of his glory, we've separated ourselves from a relationship with God. As human beings, we desperately need to be saved from our sins. Here's what the angel says. I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And how did he do that? He came into this world. He lived a sinless life, perfectly fulfilled the righteous standard of God with his life. And then he offered his perfect, spotless, unblemished life as a substitute, as a sacrifice for our sin on the cross. Jesus came. He died, and then he rose again from the dead in order to redeem us and to save us from our sins. The Bible teaches us that now you and I, because of Jesus, can be saved. In fact, here's what it says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death, being separated from God. But because of God, because of Jesus, we can be born again into a relationship with God. We can experience his free gift of forgiveness. We can be saved from the penalty of sin. But not only are we saved from the penalty of sin, we are also saved from the power of sin in our lives. Because as Christ in us begins to live through us, we can experience the power of God over sin in an ongoing basis in our lives. 
And ultimately, Jesus came to save us from the presence of sin. Because one day, he's going to come back again, and he is going to take us to be with him for all of eternity, and we won't have to deal with this whole mess of sin anymore. It's the wonderful gift of a Savior. John Piper said it this way. He said, if you have ever sinned against God, you need a Savior. And here's the good news of the Christmas story. He came to save us. Now, maybe you're here today and you say, well, what qualifies Jesus to be the Savior anyway? I mean, why is it that Jesus can save us and not any of the other religious figures in history? Well, listen, the angel didn't just say that Jesus came to be the Savior. The Savior describes what Jesus came to do, but the next two terms then describe who he is and why he's qualified to do what he did. Second term is the term Christ. Listen to it again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Now, a lot of people just think that that's Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ. But, that, but that's not true. The, the word Christ is a title, and what the, this means is that he is the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. And, and this tells us something specific about Jesus. This word Christ refers to Jesus himself being the promised Messiah in the Old Testament. You see, when sin entered the picture in Genesis chapter 3, that God created the world, God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in this garden of Eden. They ate from the tree that they were told not to eat from, and at, the, at that very moment, sin then entered into this world. Well, the Bible tells us that sin brought with it a curse, a curse that separated us from God and that ultimately led to death for every person. But in that same moment, God made a promise that he would send a Messiah who would redeem and restore what we had lost. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we read this. God is speaking to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. What God's talking about there is this promised Messiah that throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see pictures and proclamations of this Messiah who is coming, this anointed one who would save us from our sins. As a matter of fact, there are over 50 prophecies in the Old Testament that refer to the Messiah. I want to give you a few examples of these prophecies. First, in Isaiah chapter 7, the Bible says that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. In Micah chapter 5, the Bible tells us specifically that this Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. In Genesis, chapter, in Genesis and in uh, Jeremiah, the Bible specifically uh, talks about his ancestry. That his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather would be Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. That he would come from the tribe of Judah, that he would come from the house of David, the psalmist. In Psalm 22, Psalm 41, Psalm 35... 
tells us that he would be betrayed, that he would be uh, accused by false witnesses, that he would be crucified. In fact, the psalmist describes it this way, that the Messiah would be pierced through his hands and through his feet. And he talks about this hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented as a way of executing people. These 50 prophecies about the Messiah talk about things that, that, for the most part, could not be controlled by the person that they're talking about. And some of these prophecies happened 1,500 years before the Messiah was even born. Lee Strobel, in his book, Case for Christ, writes about this. He talks about how one person fulfilling all of these prophecies is a mathematical impossibility. He said that it's a one in 13 trillion chance. In fact, here's how Lee Strobel put it. He said, our minds can't comprehend a number that big. This is a staggering statistic that equal, that's equal to the number of minuscule atoms in a trillion, 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 billion universes the size of our universe. That's the mathematical possibility of one person fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. You say, well, that's a huge number. It's hard to even kind of fathom or wrap my mind around the number that's that's big. So what if we eliminated most of the prophecies and we just focused on eight things? And eight things that are the most difficult things for the Messiah to actually accomplish, the things that Jesus obviously had no control over, These prophecies, okay? Who he was born to, uh, how he was going to be born, where he was going to be born, how he was going to die. Those eight most difficult prophecies, okay? There's a guy by the name of Peter uh, Stoner, and he wrote a book called Science Speaks. In this book, he investigates the odds. What are the odds that one person is able to fulfill even just the eight most difficult prophecies concerning the Messiah. He said that it is one out of ten to the 17th power. Now, just to kind of imagine this, just to kind of help us with this, we're going to put this number up on the screen so that you can see it for yourself. Here it is. But mathematicians say that this is a mathematical impossibility, okay? Okay. Now, let me just try to help us understand the magnitude of this number once. I want you to just imagine that we took the state of Texas and we covered the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollar coins like this. The whole state of Texas. This is the number right here. But I want you to then imagine that we just marked one of these silver dollar coins with a red X on it. And then we blindfolded you in Oklahoma, and we let you just start walking south. I mean, we just said, okay, whenever you start getting that feeling that that you're getting close to the, the one with the red X on it, we want you to just stop, to bend over, and to pick it up. What is the probability of you starting in Oklahoma, walking the entire state of Texas in two feet deep uh, of, of silver dollar coins, and then grabbing the one with the red X on it. Well, here it is. This is the probability of that. It is one out of 10 
to the 17th power. And that's just eight of the prophecies. Jesus, though, he didn't just fulfill eight of the prophecies. He didn't just fulfill 18 prophecies. He fulfilled over 50 prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Friends, Jesus is the Savior because Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one who was prophesied about starting in Genesis chapter 3, going all the way through the Old Testament. He is uniquely qualified to be our Savior because he is the one and only Christ, the Messiah. There's a third title that uh, is given to him as well, and that is Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. The term Lord here is a term that is used to describe somebody who is in authority. And when it refers to Jesus here, it speaks of the fact that he is the sovereign king of the universe, that he is God come in the flesh. Friends, when you see Jesus, you see God. And he's not a man becoming God, but he is God becoming a man. There are a whole lot of men in this world who want to become God, but there's only one God who became God. A man. Here's what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I wish that we had time this morning to just dig into the depth of these verses here this morning. But what this is saying is that Jesus is God. That he is the radiance of his glory. He is the exact imprint of his nature. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus gives us an exact picture of God. Not only did he work in the past, but he continues to sustain us and to hold our universe together today. John MacArthur writes about this, and I just love the way he says this. Listen to this quote. It's a rather long quote, but just stick with it here. It says this, our globe is tilted on an exact angle of 23 degrees. If it were not so tilted, vapors from the oceans uh, would move north and south and develop into monstrous continents of ice. If the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, the ocean tides would inundate the, the land completely twice a day. After the first flooding, of course, the others would not matter as far as we would be concerned. If the ocean floors were merely a few feet deeper than they are, the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance of the Earth's atmosphere would completely upset, and no animal or plant life could exist. If the atmosphere did not remain at its present density, but thinned out even a little, Many of the meteors, which now harmlessly burn up when they hit the atmosphere, would constantly bombard us. We would have to go underground or, a, or in meteor-proof buildings. 
Things do not happen in our universe by accident. They did not happen that way in the beginning. They are not going to happen that way in the end. And they are not happening that way now. Jesus Christ is sustaining the universe. He is himself the principle of cohesion. The universe is a cosmos instead of a chaos an ordered and reliable system instead of an erratic erratic and unpredictable muddle because only because Christ Jesus upholds it. What qualifies him to be the Savior? He is Christ the Lord. You see, Christmas is all about who Jesus is. God himself as the promised Messiah coming into this world. But Christmas is also about what he did, that he came to save us from our sins. Friends, I've got one more thing to say here. And then as I say that, then I'll be done. But first, I've got a question for you. Have you ever experienced the saving power of Jesus? Have you ever confessed Have you ever agreed with God about your sin? Have you ever believed, trusted, surrendered to him as the Lord and Savior of your life? You haven't done that before and you want to experience the saving power of Jesus today. You can right now. Right where you're sitting today, you can experience his power and you can experience his saving grace. That you say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I have sinned against you in the past. I continue to fall short of your glory in the present. God, I need a savior. And Jesus, right now, I believe in you. I believe that you are God. I believe that you're the promised one who came. I believe that you are the only one who can save me from my sins. Jesus. I believe in you. Today could be the day of salvation for you. And listen, don't just keep that to yourself. If you are are receiving Jesus as your Savior, you can come talk to me, talk to Pastor Eden, talk to one of our elders, talk to the person that that you came with today. We would love to celebrate that with you. We would love to come alongside you and help you in this journey with the Lord. Briefly, I want to share with you a second reality of Christmas here, and then I'm done. The story of Christmas must be shared. Listen, the story of Christmas is all about Jesus, but secondly, the story of Christmas must be shared. Do you remember what the angel said? Verse 10, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just for a few people, amen, for all the people. Here's what I know. Those who know the story, share the story. Shepherds couldn't keep it to themselves. The Bible says that they made it known. They revealed it. So here's the question I have for you. Who are you going to share this story with? I know you might be sitting here this morning and you say, well, well, Jason, I mean, I, I can't preach a sermon the way you just preached. But listen, I'm not asking you to do that. Just let them uh, know about Jesus. Just tell them about how you met Jesus. Tell them about how you realized that you were a sinner, that Jesus came to save you. Just tell them your story. Because you know what? Your story is a part of the story. And if you know the story, then you've got to share the story. 
Friends, the story of, Jesus, or for, the story of Christmas is all about Jesus. And the story of Christmas must be shared.